Welcome back to the Truth Leader Experience Podcast. Or if you're new here, welcome for the very first time. I am so excited that you're here and that you found this podcast. I'm your host, Sarah, and I've been hosting this podcast since 2018. I guess a little bit about me if you're new to me or if you just haven't heard an actual introduction of me, (laughs) you've been listening for a little while. I worked for my council in Arizona, uh, Girl Scouts Arizona Cactus Pine. I left almost 10 years ago now. I worked there for a few years. I worked in a bunch of different roles and um, I really, really loved it. And then when I left working there, I left that, that organization as an employee, I became a volunteer. And I started to get really involved on the volunteer side. And very quickly on the volunteer side, I realized that um, the preparation or support for troop leaders coming into the organization um, was really hit or miss. Some people have a ton of support and a lot of resources and other people are really just doing it all by themselves and they're feeling around in the dark. And no matter which side of the spectrum or anywhere in between you fall uh, no matter what it's hard it's hard and how prepared are any of us really to become troop leaders so that is a big why behind this podcast and kind of the the purpose and mission is to help close that gap and to help us all um, survive being a troop leader like let's get by but then also how to thrive as troop leaders and how to create high impact opportunities for our girls and I wanted to do an episode. I have uh, my regularly scheduled episodes are coming out on Tuesdays. I have a couple bonus episodes I'm going to have coming out for you also on Thursdays. And this is obviously one of them. And part of the reason why is because I, in my regularly scheduled episodes, I'm doing this series called Ask Me Anything, where if you're in this community, if you're a listener to the podcast, you can email me a question at girlscoutpodcast.gmail.com. Any question, doesn't matter how new you or how long you've been volunteering, how involved it is, it doesn't matter. No question is a stupid question. And I'll answer it just like if we were sitting at coffee together or if we got brunch or dinner or any other thing involving food or drink and we were just chit-chatting about Girl Scouts and you just wanted to kind of get my perspective or pick my brain, so to speak. So I have that going on, but some of those questions are really, really involved. They're really in the weeds. And obviously this time of year is a big time of year for either being back to troop, starting a brand new troop. A lot of people are finding this podcast in this community for the very first time. And I've seen a bunch of you join the Facebook group. We have a Facebook group if you use Facebook. Facebook.com slash Girl Scout Podcast is the page. And then there's a button that you can use to join the actual group. So a bunch of you have been joining the group and I've been getting some emails from some of you and um, just a lot of interest in in discovering this podcast in this community and Girl Scouts maybe for the first time or for the first time as a troop leader. So I thought that it would also be really helpful to do some episodes that are a little bit more geared toward folks who are starting out or starting fresh and not necessarily just like continuing with the in the weeds episodes. So I I want to do some of those. So today I I also realized when I did one of the the ask me anything episodes in this kind of batch of answers that's coming out right now is about girl led, a girl led troop, a girl led experience and that 
that led <laughs> me to realizing it's really been a while since I've done any kind of digging deep into GSLE on this podcast. Now, if you don't know what that is, I'm going to explain. So don't worry. I'm not trying to like talk over your head. That's something on this podcast I take really seriously and I try to always keep in mind. It can feel really intimidating when you're in your honestly like your first three years of of volunteering for Girl Scouts that it kind of sounds like we're speaking another language. And if you go back in the archives of this podcast into some of the older episodes, I did a whole series called uh, the, what did I call it? Phraseology, where we're really digging in almost like a verbal glossary of different terms. And they're really short, bite-sized episodes, you know, two minutes or so uh, talking about these concepts and explaining these different terms. So I take that really seriously on this podcast of making sure that no matter where you are, whether you've been doing this for 15, 20, 30 years, or you've been doing this for five minutes, you're welcome here and we have content for you and we're speaking at your level. So I wanted to just talk about GSLE again because it's been a while since I've talked about it. Now, if you've binged the episodes or if you've been listening for a really long time, you've heard me talk about this before, but I think it's always good to have a little bit of a refresher of what the point is and what we're doing here. And so before I go too far down a rabbit hole about GSLE, I want to really start with some basics. So we are going to get a little bit past the basics if you have been around for a while. Um, this beginning part is definitely going to just be all very, very like high level. But I think it's important to have some high level episodes in here in case that's where you are. And so let's just start with like some basics about Girl Scouts. So let's start with how girls can be members. So there are well, there are a lot of different pathways. That's the kind of terminology around it. But let's talk about two sort of directions for girls to be Girl Scouts. Two of the two main ways we see girls throughout the year being Girl Scouts. One is to be a member of a troop. And one is to be an independent girl member, which we also fondly call Juliet in the kind of spirit of <laughs> the name of the founder of Girl Scouts back in 1912, Juliet Gordon-Lowe. So Juliet's is like an affectionate nickname for how we refer to independent girl members. Independent girl members are not part a part of troops. So girls can be members either way. So that's like a first like pretty basic thing to know and understand. Um, the independent girl member experience is where girls and their caregivers are going to participate in Girl Scout programming on their own. She can, as an independent girl member, earn all the same badges. She can go to the council-led activities. She can go to um, activities in her neighborhood. There's just so many ways that she can still she can go to camp, so many ways she can still participate without having to be part of a troop. Troops, traditionally, are at least five girls. And they are groups of Girl Scouts who meet regularly, often weekly or every other week. As they get older, it's pretty common for it to get, I guess, less frequent. <laughs> they can be bi-weekly or 
even monthly. And I've also talked to troop leaders of high school girls who uh, they choose to meet quarterly. And speaking of which, girls in grades K to 12 are eligible to be girl members. So before girls are kindergarten uh, age or kindergarten enrolled, they are not eligible to be Girl Scouts. Although there is some pre-K programming that exists in certain parts of the country that they have piloted off and on throughout the years. It is often affectionately known as Girl Sprouts. <laughs> uh, other people may have other nicknames, but that tends to be like the piloted program nickname for girls who are in pre-K. There is also such a thing as an informal version of siblings getting to participate in Girl Scout activities, even though they're not old enough yet, or maybe they're not actually members, or they are, uh, you know, boys, right? Like their the, the Girl Scouts brothers can participate sometimes in some activities. And we affectionately call those siblings tag-alongs because they tag along. Also, tag-along is a nickname, or I guess an official name, for one of the flavors of cookie available from Girl Scouts, the Girl Scout cookie lineup. So that makes that nickname extra affectionate. So we have Girl Scouts K to 12. We have Girl Sprouts unofficially or officially, depending on where you live in pre-K. And then we have tagalongs, which are non-registered members that usually refers to kids because they are tagging along <laughs> normally with their siblings. And then we also have um, levels within the K to 12 Girl Scouts. So those girl members, if they're if they're girls in K to 12, they're referred to as girl members and they have different levels. So Daisies is kindergarten and first grade. Brownies is second and third. Juniors is fourth and fifth. Cadets is sixth, seventh and eighth. Seniors is ninth and tenth grades and ambassadors is 11th and 12th. That part at the end can get a little confusing with the high school Girl Scouts because seniors in Girl Scouts refers to underclassmen in high school <laughs> and seniors in high school are ambassador Girl Scouts. <laughs> and then when girls move from one level to another, so when they age up, basically, they are called bridging. That's the transition from one Girl Scout level to the next. They bridge. So here's just some basic run through of some terminology that you're going to hear. When girls bridge from ambassadors, so when they graduate from high school and they were ambassador Girl Scouts and they become adult members of Girl Scouts, they bridge to adult. And that's the last time they bridge. Then adult members are anywhere from freshly graduated high school through <laughs> 150, right? No matter how old you are, yeah, an adult member is an adult member. There are some areas that may have sort of societies for adult members who are over a certain age or have been involved for a certain number of years. So um senior ladies we're going to use the word senior again senior ladies often can have these communities in girl scouts i think nationally i don't think there's an official um membership level beyond just being an adult but there can be kind of local communities that 
these very long-term members might be part of or might be recognized with a certain distinction for having been involved for a certain number of years. I mean, we have members who have been involved for 40, 50, 60 plus years. And in, in that's really, really valuable to have their history and tradition and their years of service to Girl Scouts. So speaking of how many years you've been a Girl Scout, so that typically counts the number of years you have been a paid member. If you are a girl member, it includes the number of years you were in Girl Scouts between kindergarten and 12th grade. So like for me, for example, I was a girl member from kindergarten through sixth grade. So I had seven girl years. And then I stopped being a Girl Scout <laughs> for a while. And although once a Girl Scout, always a Girl Scout is a nice little phrase, a nice little saying that we have. But as far as your official years of membership, it does not count <laughs> if you were not a paid member. I became a member again after I graduated college because I, I personally started working for my local council, uh, not my first job out of college, but my second job out of college. And I worked there for several years for my local council, as I mentioned earlier. And during that time, I purchased a lifetime membership. So a lifetime membership can be purchased anytime after a girl graduates high school and that person can then have a lifetime membership where all the rest of the years of their life count toward membership years even if they're not involved if even if they're not active just having a lifetime membership means all the rest of the years of your life count as years of membership if you don't have a lifetime membership then only the years that you are a paid member would count and there are some opportunities for, I don't know what the current offer is, but there is an opportunity when a girl is a young alumni, so if she bridges to adult, if she just freshly graduated high school, that she can temporarily get a lifetime membership at a discounted rate instead of having to pay full price for a lifetime membership. So it's like a little bit of an incentive to do it young. Um, but honestly, even if you are an adult member that is not a young alumni, <laughs> I really recommend the lifetime membership for several reasons. A lot of people hesitate on the lifetime membership because they don't know. It's, you know, it's, it's a little chunk of money and they don't necessarily know how long they're going to stay involved. But what happens is uh, the people who it would make financial sense to become lifetime members pay for a certain number of years. And then they look back and they realize, man, I should have just gotten that lifetime membership and it would have been worth it at this point. And then at that point, they only have so many years left until their girls age out that they are leading a troop for. So it doesn't make financial sense anymore um, to do. So they wind up spending more money on annual membership fees. But here's how I feel about the lifetime membership thing. If you're in a position to do it, and, and you shouldn't do it if you're not in a position to do it, obviously. I hope that goes without saying. But if you're in a position to do it, the reason why I think it's so beneficial is because, first of all, you can get involved or less involved or involved in any number of ways, any capacity of ways as a volunteer at any point in your life. Or you may never be actively involved as a volunteer again, but 
you made a significant donation, a sizable donation to an organization that you hopefully love and believe in and really want to see that lasting impact for continued girls of future generations. And one thing that makes that possible is a budget. <laughs> Girl Scouts needs a budget to continue. So they need to have that incoming uh revenue from a variety of different sources, but those lifetime memberships can really be helpful. So I think of it less about paying for something I'm getting in return, and I think about it more as making a generous financial contribution to an organization I really, really care about supporting. And then I will be as involved as I want to be because I want to be there, not because I paid, if that makes sense. So that's my personal like perspective on it, but I highly, highly recommend the lifetime membership. So if you have not thought about that, I hope that this will convince you to check it out and see if it's something that you are in a financial position to go ahead and do. It also makes a nice graduation gift, although I think the girl in question, it you may, you know, it may vary from girl to girl. But uh, it, it can make a great graduation gift and especially at that lower price because then that young woman will never have to consider whether or not she's going to decide to pay for a lifetime membership or not. She'll already have it. So if she decides she wants to lead a troop one day, either for her own daughter or just because, she totally can. And that actually does answer kind of another question that you might be wondering is um, about the different ways that you can be involved as an adult volunteer. And I want to say being a troop leader is really the primary aim of this podcast to discuss, but there's definitely lots and lots of ways you can become a program partner and lead programs for your council. You can become a service team member, which might be a little bit confusing. I'm going to like dig into that a little bit more. You can sit on camps or different camps. You can sit on different committees. You can help with things like uh, becoming certified in archery, kayaking, sailing, challenge course, uh, first aid, like lifeguarding, all kinds of different things, <laughs> activities like that. And when you become a certified instructor in those things, you can actually help the other troops in your area actually participate in that programming because they have to have a certified instructor to do those programs and finding certified instructors can be tough. So even if you don't want to have a troop, you just want to help girls have access to programs like archery, you can become a certified art of archery. <laughs> I'm really stumbling today. You can have uh, become a certified archery instructor and just offer your services to go with girls to camp to do archery for a weekend. So or not the whole weekend, but you know, as part of their camping weekend, whatever, hopefully, you know what I mean. You can also become a certified instructor while you hold other positions because you can hold all kinds of volunteer positions at the same time. So I feel like that is important to know that you can do a whole bunch. And lots of people do. <laughs> the longer you get involved, you tend to get voluntold. That's an affectionate term we definitely use a lot in Girl Scouts, voluntold to participate in a lot of different ways. And another thing I meant to mention earlier of another way that a lot of girls become girl members are actually girls who do not participate necessarily in Girl Scouts year round. There's actually a large chunk of membership of girl members in grades K to 12 who only 
go to summer camp. They don't participate in other aspects of Girl Scouting year round, just summer camp attendees. In order to attend summer camp, your uh, any girl does not have to be an active member of Girl Scouts. Any any girl in K to 12 can attend girl, attend Girl Scout camp in the summer. They become paid members as part of their registration fee. But they don't have to continue to participate in Girl Scouts in any capacity. And some of those girls may not even know or realize that they became Girl Scout members by attending camp. So that but that does contribute to our membership numbers. And there is a fraction, like a significant chunk of girls who only participate that way. So that's another thing that's just interesting to know. Another kind of basics, Girl Scout basics, intro to Girl Scouts that I think is important is the lingo around geographic designations. So nationally, we are known as GSUSA, Girl Scouts of the United States of America or Girl Scouts of the USA. We are not Girl Scouts of America. We are Girl Scouts of the USA. It's, well, it's formerly Boy Scouts of America. Girl Scouts of the USA. That's kind of an easy way to remember it. But as you may or may not know, if you're kind of new to the scouting world, Boy Scouts of America actually had a whole rebrand a few years back to Scouts BSA, which the BSA is from their Boy Scouts of America roots, but it's Scouts BSA or Scouting BSA. You'll hear it maybe both ways. That is because they actually started accepting girl members in all grades as well. So previously, they did have some program opportunities for girls, older girls, but they did not have any programming for girls in grades K to 5. And they expanded to welcome girl members in grades K to 5 a couple of years back. So hence the rebrand, because now they just refer to themselves as scouting. But of course, there's quite a bit of contention there because Girl Scouts is still a totally separate organization. And I don't know if you knew that, but Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts are totally separate organizations in the U.S. And again, Boy Scouts isn't really called Boy Scouts anymore, although you still definitely hear it called that. But it's scouting, scouting BSA, Scouts BSA, or just scouting. And in fact, a lot of people do refer to just the people who the girls or the kids, I guess I should say, the kids who are in either scouting program as scouts. But from a branding level and a legal trademarked level, scouts technically belongs to Scouts BSA. So you won't usually catch me calling our girl members scouts. You will normally hear that hear me refer to them as girls or our girls or the girls or your troop or something like that uh, or girl members because scouts is technically trademarked to boy scouts or scouts bsa so that's just kind of like another fun tidbit the difference with that is that a lot of volunteers or just people like families that participate use scouts either way or scouting either way um because it's not necessarily like super common knowledge that scouts and scouting is actually trademarked. <laughs> so we have the opportunity to say Girl Scouts, but not just scouts from a legal perspective. So because I worked for my council, I just don't usually refer to them that way. But some people definitely still do. I just kind of want to clarify 
the lingo there and kind of the structure. So nationally, we are Girl Scouts of the USA. And then within that Girl Scouts, well, I guess I should start with that's uh, from a U.S. level. That's what it looks like in the United States. But scouting programs are actually available for kids all around the world. And both, well, I guess I should say all three. There are girls-only programs all around the world. There are boys-only programs all around the world. And there are co-ed programs all around the world. And the girl programs around the world have a member-based organization internationally called WAGS. That's what we affectionately call it. It's the abbreviation, but said phonetically WAGS. And it stands for the World Association of Girl Guides and Girl Scouts. So it's WAGS with three Gs. (laughs) So WAGS is an international member association that is made up of a lot. I don't know the number off the top of my head. I don't have it in front of me. I've done WAGS specific episodes in the past, but lots and lots of different country uh, based organizations around the world that have programming that is considered scouting programs for girls. But in some countries, girl program is referred to as girl guiding, whereas the boy programs or the co-ed programs are referred to as scouting. In the US, actually, when they founded the Girl Scouts organization here, they started out calling it guides, but the girls in the United States wanted it to be called scouts just like Boy Scouts have. So they wanted their own scouting organization. So they chose to name it Girl Scouts instead in the U.S. And in different parts of the country, it's called different things. So you'll hear Girl Guides, Girl Scouts, (laughs) depending on (laughs) what, what country program we're talking about. So like in Canada, Girl Guides. In England, Girl Guides. Australia, Girl Guides. Those are like the most common organizations I feel like we talk about um in the united states we also have an arm if you will of girl scouts of the usa for girls who are united states citizens who live in other countries so this is called the girl scouts overseas or gso and that is um gonna be for any number of reasons girls whose families are living abroad and they can still be members of Girl Scouts. They can be independent girl members. They can have troops. Uh, It works much exactly the same, except since they don't live stateside, they have kind of their own like designation, I guess you could say, um, called Girl Scouts Overseas. And then within the stateside Girl Scouts, we have that are part of the Girl Scouts of the USA, we have what we call councils. So the Girl Scouts overseas is kind of like the council that incorporates all Girl Scouts of the USA, who all GSUSA members who do not live in the jurisdiction of one of our other councils. (laughs) So the councils are across the I I mean, I was going to say continental United States, but that's not true because we have Alaska and Hawaii. But um, across the United States, the actual United States, the physical borders of the United States, we have councils that are geographic designations. They do not go by state, though. So like, for example, I live in Arizona and we have two councils in my state. 
there's the one I'm a part of, which is Girl Scouts Arizona Cactus Pine. And that's basically <laughs> Phoenix up. Um, and then Tucson and like the southern part is Girl Scouts of Southern Arizona. So it kind of makes sense. Southern Arizona and then the rest of Arizona. And uh, California has multiple councils. Also, there are some councils that cross state lines. So it's the council is made up of certain portions of a couple of different states. And it's just uh, it's just geographic based. Back in the day, there used to be like a lot more councils and they actually consolidated them to be the council setup that we have today. So hopefully that kind of gives a little bit of clarity into the council kind of perspective. but. Yeah, so the councils are, <laughs> they have like headquarters offices and they have staff that are specific staff members of that council. Whereas GSUSA, the national organization, has a whole separate staff. So, like, I'm part of Girl Scouts Arizona Cactus Pine Council. The staff members who work for my council do not work for GSUSA, they work for Girl Scouts Arizona Cactus Pine. So, they're like separate organizations, even though. Um, the councils are like member organizations, more or less, of the National Girl Scouts organization. And it's not quite as like disassociated as just being member organizations like WAGS is a member association. Girl Scouts of the USA is not a member association. Like a council couldn't decide we're no longer going to be part of Girl Scouts. So it's not like that disassociated. They are it's like an umbrella organization and then like basically subsidiaries of that organization are the councils. So councils have their own staff. They have their own nonprofit boards. They have their own budgets. They have their own uh, processes and systems. And because of that, we often wind up with a variety of differences from council to council. There's things that are the same in every council and there's things that are different. And that comes up a lot in the Facebook groups, but also on this podcast. Whenever we're answering questions or we're talking about like how to do things, there's always a caveat of like check with your council. <laughs> so um, that's something that you kind of hear a lot because there are a lot of differences. And there has been a big movement in the past, I'd say, like five years to streamline a lot of these national these things nationally so that and maybe even the last 10 years, because I think it really did start while I was still working there. But um, the registration process is more streamlined. The uh, <laughs> like back end setup is a lot more streamlined and they're streamlining like the awards processes and all kinds of different aspects of the organization. Oh, and the shop. The shop became um, sort of nationally streamlined while I worked in the shop. It was so strange because if you can believe it, like, so we have girlscoutshop.com and hopefully you already know that exists, but girlscoutshop.com is a website where you can purchase badges, uniforms, and all kinds of fun Girl Scout things. And your council also has a council shop where they carry a lot of the same merchandise, but they also may carry council specific merchandise, like different t-shirts or, or whatever, different, um, patch programs that are going to be more specific to your local geographic area and they will probably be specific will specify it will say like girl scouts arizona cactus pine or like the abbreviation on the actual shirt to designate that this is a council design and not a national design 
When I first started working for my council, I was working in the council shop. I was one of the managers of the shop and um, we had our own council shop website. We had our own like sales system. It was totally, totally separate. And then they created this kind of like national streamlined shop as well. Okay, anyway, so the um the movement i guess the priority of streamlining things nationally is getting stronger and stronger so we're going to hear more and more things that you know the the new leader training is getting kind of nationalized and the the cookie experience is getting more nationalized and just like creating more consistency from council to council so we're going to see a lot of that trend kind of continuing or at least that's my prediction <laughs> i don't work for girl scouts i don't work for my council i don't work for gsusa uh this is not a like sanctioned podcast i'm just a lifetime member volunteer who created this podcast because it's a podcast i wanted to listen to and didn't exist and i also really felt like i had a lot to offer to help close the gap and to build community among leaders who really want to create a high impact program for girls. So that's what we're doing here. But anyway, so that's my prediction of the trends. So back to the geography. So we've got these different council areas. Councils all kind of do things differently. And then within your council, there are additional geographic area divisions. <laughs> um, and there could be multiple like you may have regions in and then within those regions you have service units or you may just go straight to service units but the service units also can be called neighborhoods or communities so those are all kind of uh, official or unofficial titles for the same kind of thing those are exactly what they sound like when i say community or neighborhood they are smaller geographic areas kind of like school districts if you want to think about it like that or boroughs or something like that or counties <laughs> it's kind of like that but within the girl scout council so they don't actually necessarily align with counties or school districts they might but they don't necessarily <laughs> and most of the time it wouldn't uh, a service unit wouldn't just be a um what am I trying to say? It wouldn't just include one school district anyway. It would include like a, a, a handful of school districts most of the time. Um, but anyways, or it would be a portion of a school district, I guess, if the school district's really, really large. So anyway, point being, it includes multiple schools. It includes multiple like areas, physical neighborhoods. But then a Girl Scout neighborhood, like with a capital N, <laughs> is going to be uh, equivalent like neighborhood community service unit that all means the same thing in girl scout lingo in my council we call them service units i think that's the most common so that's how i'm going to refer to them most of the time on this podcast is as a service unit but your service unit is this kind of subsect of your council where you do things locally so if you think about the geography of my council for example because i don't know what council you're in but in my council it's most of it's the upper two-thirds of the state of arizona that's like a really big geographic territory. So there are things that are going to happen in different parts of the state uh, as far as events go or program offerings or whatever. But there's also going to just be a different, you know, the populations need different things in different geographic areas of the state. So having those 
like sub communities of service units or neighborhoods or communities, whatever they're called, <laughs> they really allow for hopefully more service and a sense of community among that, <laughs> that portion of the membership. And those communities or neighborhoods or service units are run by a collection of volunteers who have a little bit of a structure, almost like a board structure or a committee structure. And they're most commonly referred to as a service team. So the service team leads the service unit. The service unit could also be called a community or a neighborhood. And the service team usually includes people who hold leadership positions for that geographic area. So the service unit manager is kind of like the head of the service team. And you can sort of think of that person as like the leader of leaders in your area. Um, they are not usually paid staff members. They're volunteers. That's a volunteer position. So there's a bunch of different volunteer positions that make up the service team. Usually there's also an appointed staff person who kind of liaises with the different service units. So there may be a official staff member who you know of who helps support the members in your area. And they could they have all kinds of different names, but they're essentially a liaison. I think. Well, I know when I worked there, we called them like member services, um, but they have had a lot of different names in my council and in other councils. So I don't know what you might know them as, but essentially it's the point person, the staff person who liaises between council affairs, what's going on in the council at the council level and ensuring that each service unit they're responsible for liaising with. I don't know why I can't say liaising with a straight face. I have to say it like, ooh, what are liaising? But anyways, um, the staff member is probably has a couple of different service unit uh, areas assigned to them and they will liaise with <laughs> the volunteers in each of those areas to make sure that it goes both ways that the service unit knows what's going on at the council level and gets all of those announcements and, and has all the information they need and meets all whatever requirements they need and then also the other way that they can report back to council whatever's going on at the service unit level. So theoretically, that's the role of that person. That role does tend to have a lot of turnover and that role um, may or may not be super effective or helpful, just like any other human role. Uh, not all of those um, staff point people are going to be created equally. So you may have one you really click really well with and you really, really love and adore and feel super supported by. And you may have one you've never known or heard of or seen, or you may have one you frankly can't stand and you just aren't a fan of. I've seen all of the above and um, it's just one of those things where, you know, they're humans and um, <laughs> so you may or may not click. It may or may not work out. And that, again, is part of the reason for a podcast like this where I can't tell you what's going on in your council, but what I can do is try to help bridge the gap where if you feel disconnected and floaty out there in space, like doing your own thing, hopefully this helps you feel connected to the larger movement and of Girl Scouting and um hopefully that council point person also makes you feel that way. But in case they don't, I'm here. So I did just mention movement. I referred to it as a movement. Movement is something that you'll hear sometimes in Girl Scouts talking about Girl Scouting. It's a movement. We don't really call it an organization. We call it a movement because Girl Scouting isn't just the legal 
legally defined business. It's not it's not just the official organization. It's also the movement of ideas and taking action and having this impact on society and our communities locally and nationally and globally. And it's the idea that these, you know, all of us who have ever been members of Girl Scouts are, especially if we were ever girl members of Girl Scouts, are considered alumni, no matter how long you were in, whether you went to one brownie meeting years and years and years ago, or whether you went all the way through and you're a lifetime member. Um, either way, you are part of the Girl Scout movement because you were impacted by being part of Girl Scouts. And now any impact you continue to make is hopefully part of a reflection of your involvement in that movement. So we have this opportunity to have this impact on these girls. And even if they are only part of our troop for one year, that is going to shape their identity and their values and their sense of self and their confidence and their leadership. And then they're going to go on to be um, great leaders in their households and in their jobs if they have them or a formal job or if they choose to start a business in their in their business community or um, in their local community in their faith-based communities and <laughs> as U.S. citizens you know whatever it is statistically people who were Girl Scouts alumni of the Girl Scout program were they make more money they have higher levels of education they get better grades they vote more often um, so there's lots and lots of statistics that demonstrate that even a small amount of experience in Girl Scouting continues to have an impact throughout a girl's life and into their adulthood, into their life and their families and their relationships and their careers and their relationships with themselves and so on and so forth. And that is why we call it a movement because it's not just a measurement of like the legal boundaries and restrictions and regulations of the you know business organization it's the whole movement so that's kind of like a run through of the geographic aspect then we also have the actual program itself right like what do girl scouts do and this is where there's lots of pathways of how girls can participate in girl scouts they can participate online they can participate at camp or in outdoor program they can participate in troops they can participate um, in all kinds of different ways <laughs> so i think I think there's like eight or nine defined pathways and I don't actually have them um, in front of me. I thought I would actually just remember them. I'm kind of surprised that I no longer do just remember them off the top of my head. That used to be like such a big part of my job and what I did. It's kind of funny how that eventually just falls away. But regardless, there's lots of different official pathways girls can participate. But here's what it basically looks like. Girls can go to camp. They can participate solo. They can participate in troops and in any or all of those different capacities, they are probably earning badges and taking action, doing take action projects or community service. So let's talk a little bit about what I'm going to call it the actual program, even though <laughs> it's not really the actual program, but let's talk about like if you were to open a handbook, what's in the handbook? So we're going to start with the promise and law. So there is 
kind of there's like two sort of oaths in Girl Scouting. One is called the Girl Scout Promise. This is shorter, a lot easier to remember. On my honor, I will try to serve God and my country to help people at all times and to live by the Girl Scout law. And that is the promise. And you're going to hear this probably often. You're going to be asked to say it probably often. Uh, a lot of people have their girls say it at the start uh, or end of every single meeting. And it's like, a very easy way to think about it is like it's literally the promise we're making as Girl Scouts. And then we also have the law. The law is significantly longer. It's got all these clauses and it's let's see if I can do it from memory. I will do my best to be honest and fair, friendly and helpful, considerate and caring, courageous and strong, responsible for what I say and do, responsible to myself and others. Oh, respect myself and others, respect authority. Uh use resources wisely, and make the world a better a place and be a sister to every Girl Scout. <laughs> Got it. Okay, so uh, the reason why, that's kind of funny, by the way, side note, I don't currently have an active troop. I was a troop leader for several years, and um, I'm taking a break from being a troop leader right now because my life is kind of in transition, and <laughs> I will definitely be starting another troop, and then um, I will definitely definitely uh, probably many other troops in my life i'll definitely be doing troop leadership again and hopefully here soon because i do really really miss it i would love to have started one this back to troop season but we i have not really said this on the podcast i don't think but we're talking about moving out of state next summer. So my partner and i we are empty nesters i think i mentioned my youngest did I say that on this podcast or was I saying that in an earlier meeting? Anyways, I have three stepchildren. Uh, I have a stepdaughter. She's in her mid-20s. I have two stepsons. They are 21 and 19. And they are gone. They have their own life. They are grown. And as we are now empty nesting, we're trying to determine what we want our next move to be and also trying to make sure that everybody's independent lives really stick and nobody needs to come back home again. Um, but our intention really is to move away from Arizona. And I don't really want to start another troop just to leave it. So next year, I'll have a better idea of where we're going to be kind of for the next chapter. And yeah, I'll start one back up again then. But point being, it's been it's been probably more than a year since I said the law. So I'm pretty impressed with myself. I think I did pretty well, even though it was not perfect. But um, so those of you who have it super memorized and you're listening, you're like, of course I could do it from memory. I could have to definitely before. But, um, but I'm still pretty impressed with that. I think that was pretty good. Anyways, the law is less often heard, although there definitely are circumstances where they may have members say both the promise and the law at the beginning of an event or something. And some people do this at every meeting. But mainly it's important that the girls know the promise and the law and that they talk about and think about what the words in the promise and law mean. And then we have those as like benchmarks to be able to revisit in both our programming, but also just in regular happenings with each other right to be able to say like are you living the the law and keeping the promise the, that's like kind of the two phrases keep the promise and live the law that you might hear uh, you might not but you might hear those phrases kind of referred to that way 
keeping the promise and living the law. Is this, you know, does this seem like the, are we adhering to the Girl Scout promise and law right now? So yeah. And then some of the program is directly linked to exploring the promise and the law and what they mean and letting girls really interrogate that about what the promise and law mean to them. So you should do the same. Think about the words in the promise and law and think about how you want to show up and and live to those values and also how you want to promote those values to the girls in your troop as a troop leader and maybe even outside of the troop in your own households in your own life what does that mean to you and it might not look the same like you know just one that pops off the page at me is the uh, respecting authority respecting authority might look different depending on who you are and what your life looks like and what your priorities and your core values look like respecting authority might be different and also that word respect in general like what is respect right so anyways just a nice little exercise there is to interrogate that maybe we'll do a whole episode on that that sounds kind of fun so another thing is you may have noticed in the promise there is a line that explicitly states serving god and you know it's very hotly debated it's very hotly contested it's not a super inclusive like language choice um and it was not always part of the law much like it wasn't always part of the pledge of allegiance to say one nation under god um but regardless the kind of approach even nationally like this is official from girl scouts is that there's a little asterisk next to the word god in the promise and you can change that language to say anything you want or you can choose not to say it this is another thing you can have the girls explore and interrogate for themselves and you as a group can decide what it is you're going to say um but that's another like added layer there if you're new that's like an early days thing that's going to come up so I want to also go ahead and I know this is getting a little long, but I also want to go ahead and cover the I started to earlier, but I said the actual program and I was like, I don't like to call it the actual program. Um, so if you were to open a handbook, you would see the promise in law and also you would see the badge work, right? Like a badge book is going to have badge work in it. When we think about Girl Scouts, we tend to think about camp earning badges and selling cookies. So those are three really common ways to engage as a Girl Scout. Again, you can do those things as an individual, you can do them as a troop, but um, let's talk about badges a little bit. So within the official badge work, there are kind of two <laughs> directions, I guess, of badges. Uh, maybe we can even say there's three, but there's two direc directions of badges. There's the um, kind of skill building badges that are level related and then there are um, journey programs so those are all kind of in the official badge work and I'm going to talk a little bit more about that then there's also pins official pins that have steps to earn them and then there's also fun patches which fun patches may have steps to earn them or they may basically be like participation patches you attended the event you got it you participated in this activity you got it um, and some of them may be patch programs and they could be independently developed you know it's something i've never really done but i would love to so who knows maybe eventually one day as time allows maybe i will do some patch programs 
But for now, I don't have any, but lots of independent people like me who want to create things for the community and to give back to the community and to find ways to engage in the community, develop their own patch programs, especially if there's like something going on in the world that people want to um, explore that topic or that subject matter with their girls, there will be patch programs about those things or learning about specific people. Um, so that's kind of fun patches. And then there's really also another category called Council's Own. Council's Own are official badges, but they are not national. They are specific to that council. And usually they have something to do with that council's geography or natural resources or a person like a public figure from that area or that made a huge impact on that area, uh, that geographic area, whatever it is, something along those lines. Sometimes it's like a cultural thing because culturally it makes sense. Like, um, you know, the Alaska Council has and the Hawaiian Council, they have definitely some distinctive cultural things that Girl Scouts in other councils might not necessarily do in their regular everyday lives or it may not be a part of their like everyday culture. So um, with councils own, they are developed by the individual councils and girls in any council can earn them. So although you may have less access or information <laughs> about, you know, the Alaska council's own badges, you definitely can participate them no matter where you live. And then you can order the actual council's own award from Alaska and they'll send it to you and you can put it on your girl's vest, right? So that's pretty cool. Um, they may have any combination of different steps or processes to earn, but um, but their council's own badges. Now, generally speaking, kind of uniform wise, and we could do a whole thing about uniforms, and uh, maybe I will, but for now I'm just gonna say the national official badges, journeys, and pins go on the front of the vest. The fun patches, cookie patches, etc., um even like independent patch programs go on the back. Council's own, it's a little bit debated. They are official. So since they are official, they technically can go on the front, but unless they are the same shape that corresponds with that individual level. So each of the levels, daisies, brownies, juniors, etc., they have their own kind of identifying shape for the official badges. So sometimes the council's own are de designed with that in mind. So they fit right in. I would put those on the front, but actually personally probably would not put them on the front if they are all kinds of crazy sizes and shapes and whatever, even though they're official if they're council's own, just for the sake of it truly looking uniform. But there are no uniform police. And by that, I mean, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> so um, that's but that's kind of official. So we'll do a whole uniform discussion in a different episode in the spirit of kind of trying to make things accessible for those of you who are new. But that's kind of like a brief run through. And then to designate kind of journeys, what the heck that is in the official badge category, <laughs> journeys, there's a couple of different kinds of journeys. Okay, so the original journey style was that there was this whole separate program where you earned this like three-part series of 
I guess I'll call them badges, but they sometimes were like pieces that fit together to form a single badge. That's like kind of actually I think mainly what it was. And there were sort of these three different like ways that you would explore a specific topic. And then you would work with the girls to plan a take action project that corresponds with the subject matter that you had been working on. And then all together, those parts equal you earned a journey, right? And um, then they've developed this new version of journeys where it's existing badges that you can just earn on your own. But if you earn them together or you earn all of them, you don't have to do them at the same time, but you earn all of them and then you plan a corresponding take action project, then they're calling that a journey. So instead of it being like separate program, it's the existing program plus a take action project. So that's a little bit confusing, um, but a take action project is essentially like a service project that corresponds with that subject matter and the girls plan it. And the subject matter of the journey can be, well, the original ones had like themes and I think they had like a sustainability slash environmental one at each level. They had, well, I know they did. <laughs> and they had one that I think was meant to be like your relationship with yourself or like, you know, exploring you, who you are, your role. And then they had one, I think, that for each level that was about your relationship with other people, like building good, healthy friendships and relationships with other people. But it may have been, I'm trying to remember, one of them may have been just relationships with yourself and others. And then I can't remember really what the like designated category of the third one was. But there's things about leadership. There's things about um you know, career opportunities. There's things about your personal values and your family story. There's things about, you know, your water, um, energy conservation, uh, you know, natural resources. There's all all kinds of different things. And then now they have journeys around like engineering and like programming type stuff. So there's all kinds of different sort of directions of journeys. But when journeys first became a thing, because that was not always a part of Girl Scouts, I feel like I'm doing kind of a weird job explaining journeys because they really have evolved in the past, like, gosh, 15 years. <laughs> that seems wild, but I'm pretty sure it's been almost 15 years. Um, anyways, they have really, really grown and evolved in that time. And Basically, when they were created, they were created off the premise of this whole GSLE thing, which is originally what I thought I would get to in this episode, and I really didn't. I felt like just doing some basics, Girl Scout basics, was important. So GSLE is the Girl Scout Leadership Experience, and it's an evidence-based scientific approach to what Girl Scouts is, uh, what impact it is, it has, how it has that impact, like how do we make that impact happen, and journeys were born as a result of that. So I'm going to do a whole other episode on that. So I'm going to leave this here because we're now in an hour, and I'm going to just go ahead and promise that I have bonus episodes coming out in the coming weeks. In addition to the Ask Me Anything series, because again, that's like kind of our standard programming, but because of the time of year, I want to also include 
some that are a little bit more like, hey, everybody has to start at the beginning. So we'll do something about GSLE or probably multiple about GSLE because it can get pretty complex um, and there's a lot to it. But we'll do some things about GSLE. We'll do some things about um, uniforms and... Yeah, I don't know what else might come up, but we'll see. And hopefully that's helpful if you're just getting going. Uh, if you thought this was helpful, then please take a moment and leave a review if you would. It's really, really important to me that this is a resource that actually helps real people. So if you'll take a moment to leave a review, that would really, really mean the world to me. It really motivates me to keep going because I'm just a volunteer doing this because I love Girl Scouts and I love... Girl Scout volunteers and I believe in it and I want it to keep going and I want to support as many people as possible. I don't even have my own troop at the moment. So I'm literally just doing this to connect with you and to help you and to support you. So if this was helpful, please take a moment and leave a review. You can leave a review. The most popular place is on Apple Podcasts. If you just scroll down to the bottom, you can just leave a rating if you want. But I really love the actual reviews to actually hear from you what is helpful and what you think. And then also Spotify now has the opportunity to <laughs> respond to every single episode. So there's like, it's, I think they call it like a Q&A or something, um, but it basically will pop up and say like, what did you think of this episode? And if you write something, I will see that. So that is also really, really nice. So if there are specific episodes you want to engage in the conversation, you have more to add, you have more to say, you want to make a correction to something I said, because I'm just a person, I'm not perfect, and this is not representative of JSUSA or any council, please feel free to pop that in. And of course, like I said, if you like it or you think it's helpful, I would just love to hear from you. So hopefully this was helpful and I will talk to you next week.